Well, good morning, Miles City. How are you guys doing today? We are so happy that you're here with us. And if you're watching online, thank you for making us a part of your day. And we want to welcome those that are listening to our message in here, translated into Spanish. We're so glad that you're all here today. As we are in this series called One Hit Wonders. And so I had some people ask me earlier, like, what? I don't understand what the promo has to do with what you guys are talking about. So pretty much nothing. But... Um, no, what we've done is there's five places in scripture where the phrase one thing is used. And so, um, we're talking about these one things and our creative pastor went from one thing to one hit. And so that's why they just did, uh, Jimmy Eats World, um, that, whatever that song is. I don't know the title of it. Some of you are like, what the Sam Hill are they playing up there today? But it was a one hit wonder for that band. And so that's what we've been kind of thinking about these one things that, um, are mentioned in scripture and then thinking of bands that had one hit wonders. And so, although I heard the first week, I wasn't here, but I heard they said George Michael only had one hit. So that was kind of funny, but you guys might've missed that thing, but that's what they said. So anyway, um, today's one hit that we're talking about or the one thing is a guy that comes to Jesus and asks a question of Jesus. And I, I listen uh, to the, the scripture being read over the week and I was spending some time in it and I was thinking about uh, questions that get asked. You know, um, I am not a very good person to ask questions to. In fact, it kind of drives me nuts if you ask me a bunch of questions. So now you know. All right. Um, when we go to camp, I always tell the kids, I'm like, hey, listen, if you have a question, go find the, your leader. Don't ask me. And um, because after a while, I'll just tell kids the exact opposite of what they're asking just to see if they'll actually do it. And so I'm not a good person to ask a bunch of questions. I'm not a person that's going to ask a ton of questions. Maybe you've gone out to coffee with me or dinner, and I'll sit there, and I'll pepper you with questions. And that's not my natural state. It's not like I sit there and, you know, you talk to some people, and they're good conversationalists. Like, they can ask good, heartfelt questions that really make you think and things like that. That is not me. Um, I'm horrible at it. Um, I'm one of them people, like, um, let's say I get a phone call, and somebody says, hey, can you pray for Joe, he's in the hospital. No problem, I'll pray for Joe and I'll hang up the phone. And that's enough information for me. Joe's in the hospital, I'm going to pray for him. But there are other people that would be like, they need to know why Joe's in the hospital. How long is Joe going to be in the hospital? Is Joe dying or is he living? Is there hope for Joe? What hospital, how far away is the hospital? How long do you think it's going to take for us to get there to see Joe? And what do you think Joe is feeling about being in the hospital? We used to have a guy that worked for us by the name of Tito, and Tito had a word for people that asked lots of questions. And I want you to listen very carefully so you don't hear me wrong, but he used to call them assholes. Some of you got that, all right? I did not cuss. He was calling them assholes, and he would say that all the time, but he would say it extremely fast to where you'd be like, did he really say what I thought he said? But, you know, there's people that have questions, and they um, they want to have answers to them, and they ask a ton of questions. And it got me thinking about, hey, if I was going to ask Jesus a question, which is what this guy did, this story is a really a, a guy that comes to Jesus and asks him a question, what would my one question to Jesus be? If I had to think about, hey, I've only got one question I can ask Jesus, what would that question be? And really, it kind of it, it, it depends on your view of Jesus and who he is. It depends on where you're at in life and what's going on with your life. For some of us that have been pursuing Christ for a long time, our question might be different 
than somebody that doesn't know anything about Jesus. But I think as we go through this story today, what you're going to see is the question that he asked of Jesus really is the most important question you could ever ask. In fact, it has to do uh, with eternal life. And, and if you were going to ask one question of Jesus, my, I wonder what would your question be? So today we're going to see what this guy's question was. And then um, we're going to see that this story was told in three of the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in three of those four books. So this was a pretty important story that they wanted us to know that the Lord thought it was important that we should know. But before we jump into it today, let's just take a minute and ask God to be with us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you that you care about us and that you watch over us. God, I just ask today that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would remove distractions uh, from our minds. That we would be able to focus on what scripture is saying and what the Holy Spirit is leading us in, Lord. And that I ask that the words that I say would bring honor to you. That they would be plain and clear. Lord, that um, what is portrayed in scripture would be well understood today. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life and the fact that the scripture tells us your mercies of God are new every morning. And I just ask over the next few minutes that what is done here would bring honor to your name and we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So what we're going to do today is we are in Mark chapter number 10. So if you have a copy of scripture or you have it on your phone, if you go to Mark chapter number 10, we're going to start in verse number 17, Mark 10. 17 says this, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He goes on in verse number 20, and he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And when we look at this story of this rich young ruler, which, by the way, you don't find that description of them in anywhere in scripture where those three words are put together except if you have a header on your page of scripture but when you look at the three gospels and put them together we don't ever see this guy's name given to us we don't know the name of this man that came to talk to Jesus but we do know those three things about him and when you think about what society puts an importance on really those three things would be something that society would say is important first of all he was rich It's amazing to me that even today in our society, we are so influenced by those that have money. Um, I still don't understand for years that Kardashians had a show on TV, and I still don't understand what their contribution to society is. Besides having money. But yet for years and years, people watch that show to see what the Kardashians were doing with all their money. And the thing was, is they were getting more money for being on that show. I mean, I'm not going to ask you how many famous people you follow, but we seem to care a lot about what rich people do for their vacations, 
what, rich, what clothes rich people wear, what shoes they wear. We even care about what they eat for lunch. And so they have this, they have this influence over society because they have money. In our society, if you have money, it's like you automatically have influence, like you've got it together. Man, they're rich. But not only was he rich, uh, Scripture tells us, I think it's the gospel of Matthew lets us know that he's young. So not only did he have money, but he also was a young man. Our society today puts a big emphasis on youth. Um, I turned 51 a couple months ago, and my wife tells me all the time, she goes, you got to quit focusing on your age. I said, when you're this age, tell me that, and we'll see how it goes. Okay, I don't focus on it, but when I get out of bed every morning, it reminds me that, dude, I'm an old man. And you think about how many advertisements you saw this week promoting youth, either um, makeup or creams or stuff that you can put on your face to make it look younger. I mean, we live in a society that plastic surgery is the norm now. Again, if you have money, you can get plastic surgery to look young. Because why? That seems to be important. Then the last thing it tells us about him, Luke says that he was a ruler. When you think about being a ruler, we don't know what he ruled over. We just know he had the title of ruler, which sounds important. And let's be honest, most of us, we're more concerned about the title than we are the responsibility. When it comes to the title, we're all about having a title. But when it comes to the responsibility, we can do without that. But yet when you look at this young man that comes to Jesus, it would seem that he had a lot of things going for him. He has influence. He has his youth. He has money. But what else are we told about this man? Well, in that verse that we read in Mark, it says that he came running to Jesus. He came running to Jesus. He was desperate to talk to Jesus. An interesting thought there that even though he seemed to have everything together and even though he had a lot going on, he comes to Jesus and he has a question for him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What that question reminds us of is that no amount of things can fill up an empty soul. He had all the things. By society's standard, by the world's standard, he was successful. He had it together. Here he is. He's loaded. He's got his youth. He's got influence. What more could you want? And yet he's desperate to talk to Jesus because he's seen Jesus do some things. He's like, man, maybe this guy will have the answers that I'm looking for. Today, some of us might be in this room and we might have the things that we think we need. We not, might not worry about our next paycheck and whether it's going to come in time. We not, not worry about our health. We might have good health. We might have the position at work or the title that comes that we so long for. And we say, hey, by the world standard, I should be happy. And yet something's missing. Something's not right. Why can't I find happiness? And that's where this rich young ruler was. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The energy of his youth, the power of his position, and the comfort of his wealth was not answering that question for him. In Matthew, we're told that he asked, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And really, this is kind of natural to think that you could do something to have eternal life. I mean, when you're thinking about, okay, I need to measure up, so there's something that I have to do. 
He's got the wealth, he's got the youth, he's got a position of power, but maybe there's something else I need to be doing so that I can have eternal life. He wants to earn his way to heaven. You know, unfortunately, this is still a prevalent idea even today. There are people that think they can earn their way to heaven. So Jesus kind of picks up on this idea. So what is Jesus telling him? He says, listen, he starts naming off commandments to him. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, and honor your father and mother. By the way, those are the commandments that have to do with our relationship with other people. He leaves out the commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. He says, hey, treat people the right way. Be honest with people. And many Jews in society think that was the way to eternal life. Hey, listen, if I obey the Ten Commandments, then I'm good. God will let me in because I've obeyed the Ten Commandments. He said to him, teacher, I've done all these things for my youth. In fact, Matthew, in chapter 19 of Matthew, he gives a little more detail to it. In verse number 20 of Matthew 19, he said, the young man said to him, all these things I've kept. He says, but yet what do I still lack? Something's still missing. Something's not right. I've done all these things. I've been keeping these commandments and yet I still don't have eternal life. And that reminds us that no amount of moral actions can really give us peace. Doing good things is great, but that's not what brings peace to our life. It's interesting when he came to Jesus and said Hey, I've done all these things. One of the things about Jesus that you read in Scripture is Jesus didn't have a problem calling people out when they lied to him. There's several examples in Scripture where Jesus just calls people flat out on the spot and says, you're not telling me the truth. The Samaritan woman at the well, he says, hey, go get your husband. Well, I'm not married. He said, yeah, you say that well. You've been married five times and the guy you're living with you're not married to. I mean, called her out just like that. But yet Jesus doesn't call this guy out. So what that tells us, he probably was a morally good person. He probably was keeping the commandments the best that he could. And yet still he had this hole inside, still something wasn't right. You know, uh, when I share the gospel with people, I talk to them about Christ, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, hey, um, you know, I'll see if they believe in Scripture's true. Hey, when we die, we go to heaven or hell. Where do you think you're going to go when you, when you die? Well, I think I'll go to heaven. Why do you think that? Well, I'm a good person. I do good things. I try to te- treat people right, and I, I feel like the good Lord will just let me into heaven. And maybe you've shared the gospel with people, and you've heard that answer as well. I said, unfortunately, that's not the way to heaven. In fact, this passage explains that going on. But maybe you sit here today and you've been trying to be a good person and yet something's still missing. Something's still not right. Something still doesn't measure up. There's still something inside of you that's telling, hey, how do I inherit? How do I get eternal life? And like this young man, you're searching. The great thing is Jesus didn't leave him hanging. Jesus didn't say, well, that's a good question. Moving on. Jesus didn't give him the wrong answer. It's, it's interesting to see what Jesus does do. Back in Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, it says this. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now Mark 
could have just wrote Jesus looking at him and went on, and we'll read the rest of that verse in just a minute. But he puts that little phrase in there that he loved them. It reminds us that Jesus is not afraid of questions. Jesus loves when people are searching for the truth. And he loved this young man because he knew, hey, he's searching for the truth. Jesus knew the outcome of this conversation before it ever happened, but yet she just still had a love for him, just like Jesus has a love for us. A love for us. So the passage goes on and says this. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now it sounds like, at first glance, it sounds like Jesus says, hey, if you have a lot of stuff, you've got to get rid of it if you're going to follow after me. But if that's what we think Jesus is saying here, we're probably missing the point of really what he's trying to get across to this man. When Jesus looked at this young man asking him this question, he saw something deeper than the accolades and the things that he had collected. He said, why don't you get rid of all that stuff and just come follow me? Unfortunately, Mark tells us in chapter 10 and verse number 22, it says this, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus wasn't saying that having possessions is bad or having wealth is bad. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, what's the one thing that you're holding on to that you won't give up? It reminds us that holding on to one thing can keep us from the thing. What in our life are we saying, God, I'll give it all to you except for fill in the blank. My son, my youngest son, his birthday is today, and so... Yesterday we went, uh, my wife and I were out of town for a couple days and we stopped by a mall to get him some things. And it was funny to me, I was thinking about this message, it was on my mind. And, and while my wife was shopping, I'd pull it up on my phone and read through the script and things. And I was reading over this point and like literally just a couple minutes later we walk into the store and it says, everything on sale except for. And really, basically it was all the cool stuff wasn't on sale. All the junk was what was on sale, you know? It was a clothing store and all the non-name brands that you could care less about. Oh, those are on sale, but the cool stuff, you still got to pay full price for. But in real big letters, it was everything on sale. Real small letters, except for like 12 brands listed. You're like, psh. Isn't our life like that sometimes? God, you can have everything except for that one thing. Maybe for us it's something good we're holding on to. Maybe it is our possessions. Maybe it is our popularity. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's notoriety. Maybe for others of us it's a negative thing. Maybe bitterness towards someone. Or some situation or some anger or unforgiveness towards someone that's hurt us. We have to ask ourselves, though, are we okay with this defining our life? Is this what our life is going to be about? Reminds us of the story of Abraham and Isaac. In the Old Testament, there was a guy by the name of Abraham that God promised he would be a great nation. Really, Abraham is the father of Israel. So to be a great nation, really you need kids to do that if you're going to be a nation. And Abraham went a long time without any kids. 
And finally, at the age of 100, his wife Sarah becomes pregnant. Abraham's 100, his wife Sarah becomes pregnant, and they have a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac is everything that Abraham had ever hoped and prayed for in his life. Isaac was Abraham's one thing. If you know the story, you know that God came to Abraham and he said, listen, now I've promised to make you a great nation and I know I've promised you a son in your old age, but I want you to take that son, your one and only son Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. If you read the story in Genesis, you know that Abraham wrestled with this. He struggled with it, just like any parent would do. Finally, he gathers up his son and he tells his servant, there's an interesting statement he makes. He said, my son and I, the boy and I, will return. Shows the faith of Abraham. And so he takes that long journey up that mountain, sacrifice. He gets to the top and even his son picks up on something ain't right here. He says, dad, I see the altar and I see the wood, but I don't see a ram. I don't see a sacrifice. Again, you see the faith of Abraham when he says God himself will provide a lamb. So Abraham takes that knife and he draws it back. And in Genesis 22 and verse number 10, we see this story. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. You don't think Abraham was listening for God to say something? You know, I I like watching. I was watching a little AEW wrestling last night. Is that what it's called, Jordan? AEW, is he in here? All right. And it's funny, man, they'll pin that guy and it's a one, two, and then the ref real slow will come down for that third one because he knows the match ain't supposed to be over yet. Abraham's like, mm, and he hears it. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham was willing to give up his one thing. God, you have all of me except for my son Isaac because, man, I've been praying for him for years and years and years. Nope, you got all of me, God. Because of that, Abraham did become the father of a great nation. He was the father of Israel. Makes us ask ourselves, what is our one thing? What is our one thing? This rich young ruler was dejected. He discouraged. He didn't like the answer to the question that he asked. In fact, he went away sorry. Sorrowful. Why was he sorrowful? Because he knew he was going back to a life that seemed like he had everything he needed and was a good life. And yet he knew something was missing. And now he knew what that one thing was and he wasn't willing to let go of it. As you sit here today, say, hey, I'll give God everything. Is there one thing that you're holding on to? See, that's a very discouraging story, and it is. In fact, Jesus used it as a teaching lesson for the disciples because in verse number 23 of Mark chapter 10, he says this. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? 
Like if rich people can't get in, because Jewish tradition, Jewish custom was, hey, listen, if you were blessed by God and had riches and he was, you had his favor on your life. I don't know if you live in a cave, but guess what? There are still people out there today that try to tell us that. In fact, you could probably go home today and turn on the TV and find some preacher that's going to get up there and say, hey, if you send me a lot of money, God's going to bless you. God's blessings aren't based on what we can give back to him. In fact, I would ask you to read the New Testament about a guy by the name of Paul who was probably the greatest missionary ever and tell me how much stuff he had. The guy who had to make tents on the side just to make ends meet, was God not blessing Paul? God's blessings have a lot more to do with money. So the disciples, they're confused. They're like, man, if the rich people can't get in, what hope do we have? So Jesus answers the question in verse number 27. It says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now this is where this story gets really cool. All things are possible with God. As we are studying this passage, there's a verse earlier that Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler that comes to him. In verse number 18 of Mark chapter 10, it says this. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The the rich young ruler runs to him, he kneels down and says, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? Now, it could be some people say, well, Jesus was just correcting the way he talked to him. You know, like one of those people that when you say, hey, can I go to the park? It's not can I, it's may I. You know, you just want to karate chop their throat for correcting your aimers. Right? Those kind of people. If you're one of them people, God bless you. Thank you. Okay? But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen, either I'm not good or I am God. That's what Jesus was saying to him. So when you think about with God, all things are possible. And Jesus, back in verse number 18, is saying to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one's good except God. It brings that question that we have to ask ourselves. Who is Jesus to us? Is he good or is he God? See, this rich young ruler missed out on who Jesus was. Oh, to him, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He was a miracle worker. He might even have been a prophet, but he never made the correlation that, hey, I'm talking to God himself right here, that Jesus is God. And that's why he went away sad, because he never understood. See, he focused on, hey, give your stuff away to the poor. Help out the poor with all your stuff. He missed the last part of that that said, and come follow me. Because the stuff was his one thing, but what he missed out was Jesus was God. And he goes away defeated and sad. And this is a sad story because we never read anywhere else where this rich young ruler came to Christ. What a tragic story. And it is. As I was thinking about this today, I was like, man, that's a kind of a, a bummer to end on. It's like this guy missed the point. I grew up going to Christian school all my life. My dad was a preacher. The churches he pastored had schools that I went to. And one of the things that I did enjoy about that, there was some downfalls to it too, but one of the good things was I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of missionaries. 
There was a story about a guy by the name of William Borden back in 1905. William Borden was an heir to the throne of the Borden Empire. Borden evaporated milk, that, those Bordens. They were loaded. He was loaded. He graduates high school. And they're from Chicago. They live in Chicago. And his parents say, hey, we're going to send you on a round-the-world trip before you go off to college. So him and his buddy go around the world. Now, William, or Bill as he was called, had already given his life to Jesus Christ. He already knew him as a Savior. And and he was even thinking about, hey, what do I want to do with my life? And so he goes on this trip. And in July of 1905, he's over in London and he goes to a meeting, a, a church meeting that an evangelist by the name of R.A. Torrey is preaching. He preaches the sermon, and at the end of the message, they give the invitation, and they sing the song called, I Surrender All. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. If you've grown up in church, you know that song. That night, it got a hold of Bill's life, and he said, listen, I'm all in. At 17 years old, he said, I'm all in. When he returned home, he began giving away vast amounts of his own wealth. Even at 17, he was already a millionaire and began giving away his money. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two words. He said, no reserves. No reserves. So Bill goes off to school to Yale. And Yale back then was a Christian college that was actually training people for the ministry. Bill's on fire for God. While he's at college, he's not waiting for someday to serve God. He starts serving him there, and he starts a prayer group with him and his his roommate. By the second semester of his freshman year, he's got 150 students praying with him every morning before classes in groups. By his senior year, 1,000 of the 1,300 students were praying every morning. They would meet, and they would pray for those students that weren't coming. And they would, some of them would be tough nuts. And they, they said Bill would, they'd write names down and say, who's going to go talk to so-and-so about Jesus? And the room would remain quiet and Bill would always speak up on the hard ones. He'd say, put their name on my paper, I'll go see him. When he graduated Yale, he had job, after, job offer after job offer because of his family name, because he graduated from Yale. But at this point he turned them down because he was determined to be a missionary to the Muslims of China. It was reported that he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreat. Unfortunately, Bill never made it to China. Because at the age of 25, while he was in Egypt in language school, he died of spinal meningitis. When they looked in his Bible after he had passed, there was two more more words written in the back of his Bible. No regrets. No reserve. No retreat no regrets. Say, what a waste. 25 years old. He gave away his money. Didn't even get to where God had called him to go. And yet the influence that Bill Borden had on those around him and the money that he gave away. Hospitals were established. Churches were blessed. Moody Bible Institute received some of that money. Moody Church in Chicago received some of his money. 
So you have the rich young ruler over here that knew something was missing in life and yet was afraid to let go of that one thing. Then over here you have a guy by the name of Bill Borden that had everything you could ever want and gave it all away and died at 25. Yet wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Today the question for you is, what are you holding on to? What is your one thing? Maybe today you sit here and you say, man, I want to give up everything for Christ. I've tried all this stuff. I'm a good person. I've got everything that anything, anybody thinks I would need, and yet I know something's still missing in my life. That something is Jesus Christ. Jesus loved us so much that he came and he died on a cross for our sins to pay the price so that we could have a relationship with him. And three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he has power over sin and death so that we could have a relationship with him. That's why he came. And the reason he has the power to do that is because Jesus is God. And today, you might need to take that step You might say, I'm tired of living this. I know something is missing in my life and the one thing that you're missing is Jesus Christ. Today, if that's the decision that you want to make, can I encourage you that Jesus has done all the work for you. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. He gives it to us freely because he loves us. He was ready to give this rich young ruler eternal life if he was just willing to give up everything for him. today, if that's where you're at, I'm just going to ask us all in an attitude of prayer to just bow our heads right now. And today, if that's your decision, if that's the decision that you want to make, that, hey, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, would you just say something like this to him? Say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. And I believe that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins that you rose again from the dead. Today I lower my pride and I put my faith and trust in you and only you. Thank you for paying for my sins. Lord, for those that prayed that prayer today, I ask that even right now the Holy Spirit would give them peace in their heart and their mind. Lord, that they understand that you've done the work. And you paid that price on the cross for us. You rose again from the dead. God, we're grateful for that salvation that you offer so freely. Lord, we ask for those that are still searching today that they would understand how much you love them. Lord, that you died for them. Lord, we pray for those of us that know you as our Savior that we wouldn't allow the distractions of this world, that we wouldn't latch on to things either that we have control of or that we don't, Lord, that keep us from pursuing you. Help us to live a life of no regrets for you. In your name we pray, amen. Now today, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we would love an opportunity to connect with you. You say, why do you want to? Because we believe moving together is better. So if you would just let us know that you made that decision, you can fill out the green card on your chair and check the box that says you made a faith decision, drop it off at the connect area. You can catch me in the hallway. You can also text the word Mile City to 94,000. There's a 
prompt on there, um, a number that you'll push that says, hey, I, I made a faith move today. And we just, listen, you say, I have questions and I'm afraid to ask you because you hate questions. I promise you, I love questions about people that have just put their faith and trust in Jesus. 